Good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors and just want to welcome you, whether you're here in the room, uh, whether you're outside and it's beautiful in the patio or even joining us online. It's great. My guess is there's some of you, it's the first time back in a while. Uh, last week, I, I sort of issued a challenge. It was great. After the service last night, uh, Lynn and I went out for uh, frozen yogurt for our uh, post, uh, post-service experience. And, uh, and we just saw a ton of people from Rocky Peak there, but it was really awesome because we had this one couple come up that we'd not met before. They said that, hey, we're one of the ones that we just kind of got into the habit of, of staying at home and watching online. And we, we came tonight for the very first time because of your challenging sitting. God just not only met us in the service, but he said, that, it's funny, we drive all the way from Thousand Oaks. They said, but so we don't know that many people yet, but there was someone sitting right in front of us that we got to meet sharing a very similar life situation that we're in from there. And so God just made us. And so it's crazy how uh, God can do so many things when we're gathered that can't happen when we're not, not, not together. Amen? So great to have you here, whether you're joining us, uh, however you're joining us, so good to be with you. And uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. So inside your program is a green and white message note sheet for those who are joining us online. Uh, you can just kind of up, up there at the top, uh, whatever platform you're you're watching with, you should be able to download that message, a note sheet in whatever format you prefer, and uh, you'll definitely be needing it today. We'll be using it a lot. So let's pray together. So Father, we're just excited to be here on this beautiful day and uh, coming under your leadership as our king, our resurrected king, uh, the one who runs the universe. And Lord, we just come underneath your leadership today uh, as our leader, and we just say that we're here to listen to what you would say to us. So Father, we pray as we as we tackle this very important passage of Scripture today where you reveal yourself in such a powerful way, we pray that we not only understand better who you are, but who then we are in response to you and our leader, your leadership in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our story starts today at a coffee bean. And uh, it's on the west side of L.A., uh, near the campus of UCLA. And as our, our story begins, uh, it's about 10.30 in the morning, and two young men walk in. One's for sure a student at UCLA. And it's obvious these friends haven't seen each other in a while. They want to catch up. And so after they go to the counter and order their drinks, they, they find a table, and they sit down, and they begin catching up with one another. And the one student is very excited because he's taking a course in the philosophy of world religions. And so his, his, his body says, so what are you learning? He says, well, what our, our prof has been teaching us is that uh, all the great religions of the world, that they basically are saying the same thing, um, but they, they just kind of use different words. And so his friend says, well, what do you think about that? And he says, what? It makes a lot of sense to me. And this led to a discussion, uh, kind of a high-level discussion about truth. And so his friend says to the student, well, do you believe there is such a thing as, as absolute truth? Do you, do you believe there's such a thing as, as real right and real wrong? And his, the student said, you know, I don't really know. He said, uh, you know, I, on the one hand, I'd say, yes, I guess I do believe in good and evil. But when I stop and think about it, it seems that, that what might be good in one situation might be evil in another. So I don't really know. Uh, so I guess what I really think is what, 
what's good is what's good for the most amount of people or, or kind of what seems good to me. And uh, so as they're talking longer about this um, and they're getting in deeper, um, Lynn and I have to leave. that we had gone down to UCLA because I had some tests being run for my voice issues. And we'd already had one early in the morning, but there was one later. And so we'd stopped into Coffee Bean and these young men had sat down right by us. And so I helped myself to their conversation. <laughs> I mean, after all, it was their choice to sit by me. Should have known, right? <laughs> and so I hated to leave. As you might imagine, I was hanging on every word. And, uh, but we had to go, and so as we, we got up to leave, we walked towards the door. This friend asked the student, he says, well, does it make you sad that we can't really know what the truth is? And I lingered at the door because <laughs> I wanted to hear his answer. Well, today... <laughs> We are continuing our series that we've been in forever um, that's called Signs. And for those of you who are brand new, whether you're here in the worship center, you're out on the patio, or you're joining us online, this is a series about Jesus. It's really an in-depth look at the life of Jesus as told by one of his closest followers, friends, a man that we call John. We know he's the apostle of John. And uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we've just entered into recently the second sub-series in Signs. It's called Signs of Path Forward. And this entire uh, series, it covers John 13 through 16, the Gospel of John 13 through 16, um, is going to take us all the way up to the new year. And yet, uh, in real time, that this entire series happens, these chapters happen on the last night that Jesus is with his men. Uh, before he's arrested and then executed the next day. So if you've been here the last week, few weeks as we've kicked off this new sub-series, we've watched as Jesus' men and his men have come to Jerusalem. It's the Passover evening. His men have high hopes for the future. They seem to believe that, that Jesus is about to unleash his supernatural power, the power that's raised the dead, that's calmed the seas, that opened the eyes of the blind. He's about to unleash that power on Rome and to bring in the long-promised kingdom of God. But Jesus has disabused them of this notion and on this evening, and he's, he's shared with them these three successive hammer blows that we looked at last week, and that that's not what's happening, that, that what's happening is one of you here, one of our band of brothers is actually going to to betray us all. Secondly, that Jesus is leaving. This time, you can't come with me. And the third thing is your informal leader, Peter, uh, kind of one of the bravest of the 12, that within 24 hours, he is going to disown Jesus. And so if you were here last week, we, we saw that this has left these men devastated. And into that devastation, Jesus begins to speak hope and courage. And he begins to challenge them to hold on to their hearts. Uh, do not let your hearts be troubled or tarassoed, as we saw last week. He says, 
Trust in God. Trust in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'll come back again so we can be with, with you forever. And, of course, they're, they're visualizing this as happening in kind of some local geographic place, you know, not, not like long term. And, uh, and so Jesus says to them, and the good news is you know the way where I'm going. And one of the men, Thomas, says, what, what are you talking about? You haven't even told us where you're going. How can we know how to get there? And so this sets Jesus up for this incredibly profound statement that kind of, in many ways, summarizes everything we've been learning in the Gospel of John. It's a very famous but also controversial statement. And so if you have your Bibles and apps, let's go ahead and open them up. There on your note sheet, you have a section called Signs One Way. And we're going to open up to John chapter 14. We're going to pick it up at verse 4 just to catch the context. And so in verse 4, Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. He said that. And so Thomas says, Lord, we don't really know where you're going. Uh, How can we know the way? We just talked about that. And so then Jesus makes this very famous and controversial statement. He said, well, well, Thomas, um, I am the way. Um, And in fact, I'm the truth. And I'm the life. And no one really comes to the Father or the next life Uh, except through me. And so he said, if you really know me, then you will know my father as well. And from from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Quite the claim. And so we've seen this sort of claim throughout the Gospel of John. We saw back in chapter 5, where Jesus began to refer to God as his father. And the religious leaders took issue with that. They said, you're making yourself equal with God. We saw it in chapter 8 when Jesus was in Jerusalem. He said, I and the Father are one. And they picked up stones to stone him for for blasphemy. Uh, We saw it uh, in chapter 12 where he said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's going to say something very similar here. So we've seen these kinds of claims, but they're huge claims. They're big claims. They're audacious claims about who he claims to be. And so, but this mention of the Father and seeing the Father Uh, causes one of his other disciples by the name of Philip to make a request. And he says, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. And so throughout Israel's history, there have been times when God has revealed himself in a powerful way to some of the key leaders of Israel in some sort of visionary form. Like you remember Exodus 34, where Moses prays, and he says, "Uh, God, could you show me your glory? Uh, You may remember, we studied this a few weeks ago in Isaiah 6, where the prophet Isaiah has his call to ministry, and he sees uh, this one sitting on a throne, holy, holy, holy. You may think of uh, Ezekiel, the opening chapters, where Ezekiel has this powerful vision of angelic beings, and then above them, there's one like a human being, right, Uh, that's their ruling. And so, 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 So Philip says, could you just show us the Father, this kind of vision of God, so to speak? And Jesus is going to say something incredibly profound again. He says, Philip, don't you know me? Even after I've been with you such a long time, don't you realize who I am? I've been with you two or three years. You've seen all the miracles. You've seen my teaching. You've seen my claim. Don't don't you realize yet who I am? And he says, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? He says, don't you believe that I'm in the Father, the Father is in me? Remember, we're one. And he said, uh, believe me, verse 11, when I say that I'm in the Father, the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. And so this is what we've seen all through this gospel. It's why we call this whole series Signs. And in the first sub-series, which was called Signs, A Path Forward, remember we looked at these seven supernatural signs that Jesus performed that reveal who he is and why he's come. And so Jesus is appealing to these signs, and he says, um, believe me, verse 11, when I say I'm in the Father, or the Father's in me, or at least believe me on evidence of the works themselves, my teaching and my supernatural works. And then he says, very truly, and of course, what's that code for? Yeah, yeah, in, in Greek, amen, amen. I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things to me because I am going to the Father. So next week, we'll see that Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm sending a new replacement leader. His name is the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will empower you to kind of live out this new life. And as we see the coming of the Spirit the, at the, when, after Jesus leaves, we see the account of that in the early chapters of Acts where the Holy Spirit comes and the disciples begin doing the same sort of works and miracles that Jesus had been doing. And even more than that, they saw people begin to come to Christ by the thousands, uh, both Jews and Gentiles, as a result of Jesus leaving and kind of dying for us and then uh, pouring out his spirit. And then in the next verse, in verse 13, Jesus begins to talk about how, how they're going to work with him after he goes. He said, I will do whatever you ask in my name. And so one of the things we're going to see in this final series is how Jesus often is going to say this, that, hey, the way we're going to work together after I go is you're going to be boots on the ground. You're going to see what needs to be done, kind of what I would do if I were here. And so you're going to be asking me, and I will do uh, what you ask me to do so that uh, we bring glory to the Father together. Remember, Jesus' top priority is to bring glory to his Father, for, for the world to see who his Father is. So we love him and we worship him. We give our lives to him. Jesus says that, that priority is not going to change after he leaves. And so we're going to work together. You're going to ask. I'm going I'm to answer. And together we're going to bring glory to the Father. So he said in verse 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name, or in my character, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. And so next week, we're going to go on, and he's going to begin to talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit. I'm very excited to talk about that next week as we explore that together. But for today, I want to stop here. I want to stop here where Jesus makes this incredible claim, such a controversial claim, especially in our culture today, to be the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. And I want to take some time to unpack that today and and kind of uh, uh, take it apart and help us understand what Jesus is saying. In many ways, this kind of summarizes what he's been teaching all through this gospel. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called Signs, the Audacious Claims. And what you'll notice, there's three fill-in-the-blanks. These are going to correspond to the three claims of Jesus that lead up to this fourth claim that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And what we're going to see as we unpack these claims of Jesus today, what I'm calling the audacious claims, we're going to see that each one uh, is separate, but there's a lot of overlap 
between the three. And yet I think it's really helpful to, to, uh, to break them down and look at each of the claims separately. We better understand what Jesus is saying, who he's claiming to be, and what it means to follow him. Okay, so let's start. So this, let's fill in the first blank. So the first claim that Jesus makes is, I am the way. Now, the first thing I want to pour out, uh, point out about this is that, once again, this is a powerful word picture. It's a metaphor. We've seen Jesus use many powerful word pictures and metaphors to describe himself, why he's come, throughout the gospel. For example, back in chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, he said, I am the light of the world. In chapter 10, he said, I am the good shepherd who's come to give you life and life to the full. So he's used several different metaphors. Here's his next one. He says, I am the way. So the question is, how do we get to the next life, right? I'm going away. Um, I'll come back. You know the way. The question, how do we get to the next life? How do we come to know God? What's the path? And Jesus says, Um, I am the way. He's comparing our spiritual life to a journey, something that the Bible often does. Uh, We use a lot of path language here at Rocky Peak. He's comparing our spiritual life to a journey. If the goal is to know God, if the goal is to be part of the coming age, then how do you get there on that path? And Jesus says, I am the way. That I am the path. I'm the path to God. I'm the path to, uh, to the next life. And in fact, I'm the only way, right? No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, uh, we live today in a very pluralistic, postmodern world. We're going to talk about that more later. But in, in this world that we live in, this claim of Jesus that he is the way and the only way is becoming increasingly controversial, isn't it? Uh, and so often, as we as believers make that claim about Jesus, that he, he claimed for himself, that he is the way, the truth in life, no one comes to the We make that claim that often we're going to receive pushback. We're off, it's often going to be seen as very controversial. If you make that claim about Jesus, you may be seen as very narrow-minded, very arrogant, very exclusive, perhaps even bigoted. But the question is not whether this claim is narrow. The question is whether it's true. And I want to give you an analogy. I want to use an illustration to help us understand what Jesus is saying here. So let's say that you and I were going to go on an adventure, all right? Now, um, you're going to have to use your imagination for some of you more than, more than others. And many of you are going to drop off halfway through easily. <laughs> but let's say you and I were going to have an adventure together. And because it's me, we're going on motorcycles, all right? So I know I just lost several of you. I just lost right there. But let's just, just pretend, just pretend. And it's a particular kind of motorcycle. It's what we call an adventure bike, right? So it's go on the road, can go off road. And so we're, we're going to go on an adventure. And here's the plan. We're going to meet up in the depths of Alaska. 
right? We're going to ride separately there because we come from different parts of the country, but we're going to meet up there. There's a, a remote cabin that's off the grid. You can't find it on Google Maps, but we're going to meet there. And then from there, we're going to use it as a base camp for hiking, for fishing, for a hunting, all right? That's, that's our journey. And so uh, I've been to this location uh, many times, right? And uh, it's extremely remote. And so you, it's, it's like, it's, it's, uh, it's like you go first on pavement and then on gravel roads and then on dirt roads and then on single track trail. You know, it's like it's the only way in. And so, so as I'm giving you directions, they're very convoluted. They're not very direct. You have to go around some mountains and so on. It's going to take you much longer. And so you say to me, as I give you these directions, you say to me, isn't there another way? And I say, no, this place is super remote. Like, this, there's only one way in and one way out. Now, chances are you may not like that, but you will probably not call me arrogant, narrow-minded, exclusive, or bigoted. I'm just telling you the truth. There's only one way in, and this is it. Now, this is what Jesus is claiming. He's claiming that if you want to know the real God, the only God, the true God, the only God's there, if you want to know that only true God, there's only one way to know him, and it's through him. He is the way. He's the only way. Now, once we understand who Jesus is, this not only is going to make sense, it's going to be obvious. Because if you look at Jesus as just like another human prophet, another spiritual leader, this makes no sense. But if, if Jesus is who it claim, he claims to be, it makes perfect sense. So I want you to see this claim in the context of the Gospel of John. There you know, sheet. Let's go back and remember how this gospel begins. Here, here's how John, remember, introduced us to Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the what? Word. The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. This is the claim. And we've seen Jesus make that claim time and time again. We see it today. And he says that through him, all things were made. All created universe was made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. That's who Jesus is. And so now he said, well, why did Jesus come? That's what John is claiming is there's a time and place when the God who created all time and space entered into creation, became a part of the human race. That was John 1.14. The word became flesh, dwelt amongst us. But look how that intro ends there in your note sheet, 118. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So, so this is what John is claiming, is that there's only one true God, and God has chosen to reveal himself to us through the Son. And of course, we've seen Jesus make this claim all the way through. We just talked about it. God claiming as his father, making himself equal to God. God and I are one. They're going to stone him. 
Chapter 12, you see me, you see, you've seen the Father. Here he makes the same claims again. Look what he says here on your note sheet, John 14, 8 and 9. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough. He says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you? Don't you realize after all that I've said, all I've done, you don't realize who I am? He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now catch this. Can you imagine any other spiritual leader making that claim? If they would, we would, we would put them in cult status, right? That we would write them off. He'd say, hey, don't drink the Kool-Aid, right? Uh, keep your wallets in your pocket, right? It's quite the claim. It's an audacious, you've seen me, you've seen God. But this is the claim he's making. Now, if that claim is true, then it makes perfect sense. If there's only one God, and God the Son has come to reveal him, he's the only way, because there is only one way. There's only one God, and he's only revealed himself in this way, through his Son. Now, of course, Jesus, as we've seen all through the Gospel of John, doesn't ask us just to take that on faith. He, he reveals who he is through these supernatural signs. That's the point of this Gospel. That's why John wrote it. And that's what Jesus says in this same passage. Again, you look at the next passage, John 14, 11, Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Right? So it's not a blind faith. It's a faith based on evidence. You know, many years ago, I read this great book by Philip Yancey called The Jesus I Never Knew. It's an excellent book, but this is what he says about Jesus. He says, Jesus' audacious claims about himself pose what may be the central problem in all history, the dividing point between Christianity and other religions. And this is so true. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, like those students in the opening story, that, that, well, really, all religions teach the same thing. And nothing could be farther from the truth, if you've ever studied world religions. What is similar between world religions is what you might call the basic moral code. How, you know, what's to do is good. What's to, but they completely disagree on who God is, what he's like, who we are, what the path to the good life is, the path to salvation, completely different stories. And so he says that, that Jesus' audacious claims, they pose what may be the central problem in all history, the dividing point between Christianity and all of the religions, although Muslims and increasingly Jews respect Jesus as a great teacher and a prophet, no Muslim can imagine Muhammad claiming to be Allah any more than a Jew can imagine Moses to be Yahweh. Likewise, Hindus believe in many incarnations, but not one incarnation, while Buddhists have no categories in which to conceive of a sovereign God becoming a human being. So the claims of Jesus set him apart, but, but if those claims are true, then it makes sense that he is the way and the only way, because there's only one God, and he's it. He's, he's revealed it, you know? And all other paths, uh, though they may have some good to say or some truth in them, are going to eventually lead to a dead end because 
because it's in Jesus that the truth about God and life has been revealed, okay? So first of all, this is the first claim, to be the way. Number two, the second claim that Jesus makes is, I am the truth. Now, when he says this, he's actually making two claims in one. And both are very important, especially in our contemporary culture. They were important in the first century as well, but especially in our contemporary culture, the first claim is that there is such a thing as truth. That's going to be very important. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But there is such a thing as truth. The second claim is that he is the source of all truth. That that Jesus is, as the creator of the cosmos, he is the standard, the source of all truth. Now, both claims are important. You know, one of the reasons that our culture is going through this seismic shift in the terms of what is truly right, what's truly wrong, what's good, what's evil, what's true or what's false, whether we're talking about maybe human sexuality, gender identity, race religions, historical narratives, politics, whatever. One of the reasons we're going through this is that increasingly as a culture, we are becoming what philosophers would call a postmodern culture. And so um, while if you were to interview most people on the street, they would not be able to articulate this, but, but the, the postmodern mindset is that there is no such thing as absolute truth. There is no such thing as absolute good and evil. And that, catch this, anyone who claims there is, is trying to preserve or increase their power so they can oppress you. Did you follow that? There is no no ultimate truth. There is no ultimate right or wrong. And anyone who claims that there is is simply trying to preserve, increase their, or increase their power and oppress you. Of course, the contradictory of this is that then they will tell you what is true, what is neutral, and how we've been wrong all this time. So it's self-contradictory. But that is where we are as a culture. It's a very profound shift in worldview. And uh, so I, let me give you an example. Today we started the day with a story of these two young men, at least one being a student at UCLA, and this in-depth conversation they were having about this course that the one student was having, world religions, and what the prof was saying, that all paths essentially uh, lead to the same place. They just use different terms to describe that. And this conversation that it led to where this one friend was asking the student, what do you think about that? Do you believe there's such a thing as truth? Do you believe there is such a thing as right or wrong, good or evil? And one of the things that the student said is, you know, I don't really know if there's such a thing as truth, but if there is, I don't think we can find it. What I want you to catch is that conversation reflects our culture today. And here's what I want you to catch. That conversation took place about 13 years ago. We have come a long way as a culture since then. This is what I would say, uh, 
This would reflect in real life with two young men, what I would call a postmodern mindset. Now, here's what's interesting is that as, I, as Lynn and I had to leave, you know, we're walking out the door, I hear this last question, does that make you sad? And oh, I had to stop. I'm tying my shoes, something, right? I have got to hear this. And here's what the student said, no, it doesn't make me sad. And can I tell you something? That's when I got very sad. Because what I know is that this young man hasn't really worked through the implications of that worldview. Because the reality is, if there is no God, if there is no creator, there is no ultimate source or standard of what's truth and what's false, what's right or what's wrong, And what it means is that you and I, along with the rest of the created universe, we are here by accident, that we are all just the result of billions of years of colliding molecules, subatomic particles. And what that means ultimately is not only is there no truth and no right or wrong, it means there is no meaning or significance or purpose in life. And let me tell you this, as you look at our culture, you see the rise of antidepressants, uh, antidepressants, and I'm not talking for, I don't think that's always a bad thing. I just want to be super clear on that. Sometimes we've got chemical issues in our brain that's not working, and we need that. I'm not not against that. But you see the, the mass use of antidepressants. You see the rise of cutting among young people. You see the rise of depression, you see the rise in anxiety, you see the rise of suicide. This is what happens when a culture tells its young that you are an accident. There is no meaning to your life. There is no purpose. There is no truth. There is no ultimate right or wrong. And so what it means is that right and wrong is just what we've inherited it to be, and it can be changed as, pop, as, as culture changes. It can be changed or remolded in any way. And what it means at the base of it is there really is no basis to argue that Hitler or Stalin was wrong and Mother Teresa was right. And most people in our culture don't understand this. At the high levels of intelligentsia, you'll have a few, not many, but you'll have a few who will be honest enough to say that is true. But there's no other way around it. If you and I are an accident, there is no creator, there's no meaning, there's no purpose. There's no basis for right and wrong, and it can be changed based on a poll. And that's where we are as a culture. And here's the good news. Into that culture, Jesus walks. And he says, not only is there a truth, I am the truth. I'm the creator I'm the creator of the cosmos. All truth 
comes from me. There is no truth outside of me. You say, what kind of truth? Scientific truth? Yes. Mathematical truth? Yes. Psychological truth? Yes. Sociological truth? Yes. Historical truth? Yes. Spiritual truth? Yes. There is no truth outside of him. He is the source and the standard. And he says, you know what? The reason I've come is to tell you the truth so you can live the life you were created to live. And that's exactly what he says. Look at your note sheet, John 8. John 8, we saw this earlier, but now we'll see it with new eyes. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, and then you will know the what? The truth, and the truth will what? Be free. I love what C.S. Lewis once said. He said, you know, I, be, I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun. Not only because I can see it shining, but because by it, I can see everything else in life. And when we come to Jesus and we come to his word, who God is, who we are, the path to life, human relationships, politics, racism, social, it all begins to come together as under the authority of King Jesus and his word. We see the truth and the truth sets us free. Amen? Number three, the third claim is that I am the life. Now, we've seen that Jesus has made this claim throughout the gospel of John. In fact, what he said over and over again, in one way or another, is that I have come to give you life and life to the full. Now, he said it in a wide variety of ways. Think with me, John chapter three to Nicodemus, you must be born from above. You need a new life. To the woman at the well in John four, I, what you need is the water of life, living water, to satisfy the deepest thirst of your heart. In John chapter 6, he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever eats from me, eats of me, will never be hungry again. In John 7, whoever believes in me from out of their innermost beings will flow rivers of living water. In chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have the light of Life In John chapter 10, I'm the good shepherd. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, will live, and who lives will never die. He has said it over and over again, that he's come to give us life, this, this life, as I like to describe, is life with a capital L, this eternal life, which is not just a a length of life, it's a quality of life, the life of God. But here, on this last night with his disciples, Jesus dispenses with all metaphors. And he just says, I am the life. And of course, this is what John was talking about when he introduced Jesus to us in the intro to his gospel. There in your note sheet, John 1, through him all things were made, Without him, nothing was made. All life came from him. And he says, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And so three big overlapping claims that lead to the fourth conclusion. I am the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. There is no other way to the Father because of who I am. And the only way to truth, to life, to the Father, to the next life, 
is through me, through a personal relationship with me. Now, it leads to an important question. And this question, I have to warn you, on the surface, sounds very simple. Can I promise you, it is not. In fact, before I'm done, several of you are gonna get very uncomfortable. Some of you that feel very comfortable at the beginning are gonna get progressively uncomfortable. This is good for all of us, right? So here's the question. The question is, do you believe him? Okay, very simple. Do you believe him? So Jesus makes this claim. I am the way. I am the truth. No other truth outside of me. I am the life. And no one can come to the Father through me. And the question is, do you believe him? Now, I think we need to ask this at a couple levels. Of course, we need to ask it at the level of those of you who had not yet uh, given your life to Jesus. So maybe you, you've been coming here to Rocky Peak. It's not near as bad as you anticipated. Uh, you've actually enjoyed the worship. You found the teaching at least understandable. You've even started practicing some of the principles. Life is going better. But at this point in your life, you would not self-identify as a follower of Jesus. Well, Jesus is helping you to understand what it means to believe in him. That to believe in Jesus is to come to a place where we believe that he is the way to the Father. There is no other way. We, we give him our life and based on his death and resurrection for us, um, that we come to see Jesus as the ultimate source of truth and that we experience, we step into this new life that he's come to give us. And this is what it means to become a follower of Jesus. And so maybe today you're ready to, to ask Jesus into your life. That's your response. But the question for you is, do you believe that? Do you, have you come to that place? Are you ready to give your life to Christ? But for others of us that we came today, we would self-identify as followers of Jesus. And so the question I would ask is, do you believe him? And this is where on the surface, probably many would say, yes, I believe that. Like at the start of this message, if I did a little poll and said, okay, Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father uh, but through me. True or false? Uh, mark it on your text me at whatever number, true or false, that yes, I believe that. I think that for me, well, yes, I believe that. So I want to challenge you. Do you really believe that? And I want to dig a little deeper because here's what I believe. Much of our path as a follower of Jesus much of our growth, much of our transformation comes from how much confidence we really have in Jesus. I think all of us are a mixture of belief and unbelief. And the question is, if even if you see yourself, do you really believe him? So let me give you three more questions, right? You don't have to write these down, but let's just go a little deeper. So we saw today that Jesus claims to be the way that he's the only way to the Father, the next life. So here's my question. Do you really believe that? We live in the midst of a culture that is very pluralistic, increasingly so. It's increasingly postmodern. And so many people would not have a problem with you saying, I believe in Jesus, and that works for me. You have your way, I have my way, Jesus is my way. They wouldn't have a problem with that. They have a problem with you saying, no, he is the way for everyone. That's where they have the problem. And so the question, do you really believe that? Let, let, let me ask you, like, for example, do you believe 
that your Mormon friends need Jesus? Or do you believe that, well, I think that God kind of understands that. If you have some, say, current Jewish religious friends, or you have some friends that are followers of a lot, do you believe they need Jesus? That they're currently on a dead end. I want to be super clear here that I think in all the world religions, there's elements of truth, there's some good things, it's not saying all is bad. But what Jesus is saying is they're, they're not leading you, it's a cul-de-sac. Like it will not get you where you need to go. And so do you believe that? And here would be an application of that. Do you believe that your friends, your relatives, your coworkers who don't need Jesus, who don't believe in Jesus, maybe they believe so, do you believe, no, they need Jesus? And I need to be praying for them and to share. Do you believe that? Or have you been so influenced by the culture that you're like, well, you know, I believe in Jesus, but, you know, they believe in that, and hopefully it all works out. Let's ask another uncomfortable question. We've seen that Jesus claims to be the truth. Not a truth, the truth. The source of all truth. As Paul will say in Colossians chapter 2, that in Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Like, do you believe that? So we live in a rapidly changing culture that's switching tags that once was good, things that were once good is now bad. Things that were bad are now good. Things that were once true are now false. Things that are false are now true. And so we're, we're living in a culture that's rapidly redefining right and wrong. Earlier we talked about a postmodern, that there's no such thing as right and wrong. Very few things in our culture today would be, this is right and this is wrong. Like in our culture, maybe racism, that would be right, wrong, and this would be not reasonably right. And everyone, most people would agree with that. Racism is a bad thing. There's a few things, but, but not much. Like, like take the, uh, the area of human sexuality. Can you imagine this on a major news station or cable station, uh, having a story about some kind of alternate sexual lifestyle? It might be like polymory, you know, where you have, uh, you have like, maybe ongoing, you know, like three people in a love romantic relationship or four people and they're all sharing in a love romantic relationship. Can you imagine a commentator saying, now obviously this is all wrong. In the field of human sexuality, there's only about one thing, maybe one or two things that anyone in our media would say are wrong today. Um, I think having sex with children, uh, maybe, maybe incest, not for sure, depends on whether it's consensual or not, but, but having sex with children, sex trafficking, um, any sexual relationship that's not consensual, that would be seen as wrong. But can you imagine a news commentator in any network saying that polygamy, uh, that's wrong, or polymorph, that's wrong, See, we live in a culture, there's no basis. And the reason is, is the moment you start to say it's wrong, you have to say, why is it wrong? And there's no reason. There is no reason. 
in our, there's no reason for right or wrong in a culture where there is no God and there is no truth. There's no, there's no basis for right and wrong. And so what you see is right and wrong are always changing as culture redefines them and get comf- comfortable with more levels of depravity that we will redefine it then. Well, now most people think this. You see what's happening? So this is the culture we live in, right? And so that culture is pressing in on us as followers of Jesus all the time. And so the question is, hey, when you have to make decisions about what's true and false, right and wrong, like when you have to make decisions, what, what's right? What's right with human sexuality? What, like what, what's human sexuality created for? What kind of relationships are right? What kind of relationships are wrong? How do you decide that? When you're thinking through gender identity issues, how do you decide what's right and wrong? When you're, when you're, when you're going through race relations, think of race relations, how do you decide what's right and wrong? When you think about history and the way history, what, how do you decide what's right and what's wrong? With politics, how do you decide what's right and what's wrong? And Jesus claims to be the truth. So when you're deciding, is it what Jesus says and his word says, that's your ultimate gold standard? Or are you looking to what is culturally popular, what is politically correct, what is socially acceptable, what the media says, what your professors teach, what science claims, what social media projects. How do you decide? Jesus claims to be the truth, not a truth the truth. Do you believe him? The third question is, Jesus, of course, claims to be the life. And we've seen it all through the gospel that, that the, the key to life, the key to our fulfillment and flourishing is not how much we own or how, who we're in relation. The key to human flourishing is our relationship with our creator that he alone has the living water that can satisfy the deep, that he alone uh, is the bread of life that can satisfy the deep. And over and over, I've come that you might have life to the full. And so the question is, do you believe him? And does your life reflect that? Do you believe that the key to your future, the key to your fulfillment, the key to your freedom is passionately pursuing Jesus? and making him number one in your life? Or would your life say, that no, what I really believe is that the key to life is a relationship with this person, or the key to life is gaining these possessions, or the key to life is attaining this position, or getting a hold of this power, or having this win in politics, or experiencing these pleasures, or having the free time for these pursuits. Are you with me? Do we really believe that he's the life? 
Or have we taken something in his creation that he made and made it our ultimate value as our, that only the creator can fill and we pursue that as our idol that we bow down to? And so this question, do you believe him, is a big question. And it's not a question we ask once, it's a question we ask throughout our life. Because as followers of Jesus, we should always be growing deeper in our confidence in Jesus, that he knows what he's talking about, that he's super smart, that he knows the way, that he is the way. And so that's his claim. Big, bold, audacious, huge, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The question for all of us is, do we believe him? Let's pray. So Lord, we come today to one of your most famous and biggest claims that really, in so many ways, just wraps up your teaching all through this gospel that you've come to give us life, to reveal the Father, to show us the path to life, to reveal the truth that sets us free. We might live the life we've created to live. And Lord, for all of us, the question is, do we believe it? I honestly believe this. I think we're, we're all a mixture, that to some degree we believe and to some degree we don't. So Lord, we pray that you would be increasing our confidence in you in all these areas, that we might move into this future, and that we might be a light in a dark world that, that charts the path, that enlightens the path to life to the full, the path to the Father, the path to the next life. So Lord, we pray you be with us. And as we, we worship together with this anthem, as we proclaim our faith, our confidence in you, our trust, we pray you'd meet us now in Jesus' name, amen.